stories. You may want to go online. Uh, several are being added every week. And I want to read to you one that was po- posted Friday morning. And uh, I thought this particular one, not that it's any better than any of the rest, but because of the completeness of the comment, it reminds us of why we do this. And uh, this individual posted, of course, all the posts are anonymous, but this individual posted, I was at Hardy's in Donaldson this morning waiting in line to order and noticed a lady and a small handicapped child standing by a car. As I waited, they went and sat down on the curb. I placed my order and then circled around and parked beside their car. It looked as if all their belongings was in that car. I walked up to her and she was counting pennies in her hand. I gave her some money and a card and I told her if they were hungry to please contact the church for food. Today, I truly found compassion for others and shed a tear for them. I am so glad that I did not just drive away. Thank you for my church leaders and guidance to do the right things. That's what we're wanting to do this month is to remind and to challenge each other to grow in what we want to become on a daily and even spiritually natural basis so that we would walk around constantly seeing the needs of others and helping fulfill those and then giving God the glory. We serve a God of kindness and we as his people should exemplify that kindness not so people can boast of us but so they can boast of God. When we think of the many good things that have been done on this earth, it's interesting to think of the book in the New Testament that is literally named Acts. When we think about our action series that we've been looking at off and on all year this year as we look to the book of Acts, it's beautiful to think that Jesus, while he was on this earth, began his life of serving others. But once he ascended into heaven, we have a record recorded by Luke of how God's acts upon this earth were going to continue through the apostles, and then through all believers in Jesus Christ. You see, when we live based upon how Christ has taught us to live, we are continuing the actions of Jesus on this earth. That one that gave a lady the the means to buy food for her and her handicapped child was carrying on the works of Jesus Christ. And so we think about what is so important. Wouldn't you think and agree with the fact that saving lives is important? You know, that really comes real to our mind, even though it probably ought to be more real to us spiritually than physically. It comes to our mind very easily when we think of physical things. Isaac is a native of Hawaii, and he is a Pentagon police officer. And on 9-11, which in just a few weeks is going to be eight years ago, He had his canine dog under some trees there, and they were going around sniffing for bombs. But he also had a veterinarian appointment. And so shortly before 8.30, he loaded uh, Vido, is the name of his dog, uh, who since in the last few years has passed away, but he loaded him in the back seat of his cruiser, and they started to the vet. They were only a mile or so away when he received over his radio the call. Emergency, emergency. This is not a drill. A jet plane has crashed into the Pentagon. And he immediately swung his car around, turned on the lights, and said out loud, I was just there. 
As a matter of fact, when he arrived on the scene after going 130 miles an hour and driving out his transmission, literally blowing it up, he then ran the rest of the way and the trees that he and his canine had been standing and working under were already on fire and charcoal. As he arrived, he saw plane parts scattered. He saw bunches of fire scattered in various places. He smelled the jet fuel. Without any kind of protective clothing or equipment, he ran into the darkness through the side of the hole in the Pentagon. And all he could hear was voices. Choked with smoke, total blackness, he reached out and he found a person. And he lifted her up. And with his 220-pound frame, he ran with her over to the grass. And as he laid her down, he noticed that her nylons were uh, flowing down her ankle. And then later the doctor told him that was her skin. And he ran back in again. And he, he yelled again and found someone else in the darkness and picked them up. And he ran out again. And he did this over and over. Eight times he found voices in the darkness and brought them out of the fire. And then finally, when he could hear no more, he went into the darkness again and he began to yell, If you can hear the sound of my voice, come to my voice. Over and over and over. He refused to stop and he yelled, If you can hear the sound of my voice, come to the sound of my voice. Wayne Sinclair said that he and others who are literally in shock, and when they heard that voice over and over, finally Wayne came to himself and he said to the others, that man is on the outside. Let's follow the voice. And he led several others out by his voice, refusing to give up. 36 hours later, when he walked into his living room, his wife said that he still had the blue fingerprint bruises where burn victims had held so tightly onto him as he ran to their rescue. When he describes what took place, he humbly says, as he was hailed as a hero and interviewed several times, he said, you try to focus and your adrenaline just kicks in. You really don't realize what you're doing, except, just to save lives. Brethren, that's what it's about. Why do we live the Christian life? Just to save lives. What about the great apostle Paul? You roll open a map of his day and you look at all of the cities where, where he went and, and you know it'd be easy to get caught up in the physical and say, Paul, how did you do it? How did you travel to so many places? How did you have the stamina to do that? How did you have the funds to do that? How did you have just the, the willingness to do that? And you know, you can imagine Paul just almost saying, you know, I didn't really think a lot about it except this, just to save lives. Paul, what do you want? I want to save lives. I ask you today, church, what do you want? I want to save lives. And when we think about lives, there's something far more important than this physical life, and it's our spiritual life. And when we think about the, the action of Paul, several Sunday nights ago, we looked at just one little story in the first missionary journey of Paul. And if you know the book of Acts, you know that that is a very important segment 
of the book of Acts where we study about the first, second, third, and even the fourth missionary journey of Paul. In our times together in the worship periods, we are not going to study every verse in every place that Paul stopped. It would be a very good study, but it would literally become more than this year long of a study. And so what I want to do is this morning, I want to just take a little bit of time out in going through the the missionary journeys. And I want us to get an idea with just one example, what it might have looked like if you and I would have followed Paul on a Sabbath day. What would it have looked like in this missionary journey? And if you still have your Bible open, look back to Acts, the 13th chapter. And the text that has been capably read for us, did you notice in verse 14... Now, we're not at the beginning of the first missionary journey. That began at the beginning of the 13th chapter, really verse 4 and following. And and what we're seeing here is we're seeing another Antioch. Remember, Antioch was the sending church of these missionaries, Paul and Barnabas. But Antioch in Pisidia was one of the churches that he went uh, to work in that town and establish and work with a church there. And so he establishes a church there, but how did he do it? Notice again in 14, when they had departed from Perga... They went to Antioch and Pisidia and went in into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. Now pause there. In just a few minutes, we're going to come back to that very same place we paused. If you have your Bible open, drop back now to Acts the ninth chapter. Acts the ninth chapter. A Bible that's in your pew, that'll be along page 973. 973. Now, you notice we just read that Paul went into the synagogue. Why do you think He went into the synagogue. He's teaching Christianity. We know the synagogues are tied to Judaism. And so if if he's practicing, if they're practicing that and they're following the old covenant, why is he going in? Well, let's notice how he was always looking for those opportunities. Acts the ninth chapter, we have the conversion of Paul. His name is Saul here. And we have the conversion of him. And it carries down to the 19th verse. You remember he was on the road to Damascus. The bright light shone down. We studied that particularly one year, one sermon this year also. But now that he's converted in verse 19, what do you think is going to be the very first thing that he does? Notice how in verse 20, immediately... He preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Immediately. Paul, what are you doing here? Notice as we go to the 17th chapter. Let's look at the 17th chapter in verse 1 and 2. The 17th chapter, the end of verse 1. And the reason we're turning here is we just have an example, but not only example, we have an explanation of when Paul went into Thessalonica. We see that in the 17th chapter at the end of verse 1. It says, he came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, notice this, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. What are we seeing here? We're seeing the fact that the Apostle Paul realized that there was a tremendous opportunity if he would go into the synagogues on the Sabbath where the Jews already were. And as his custom was. In other words, some of your translations would say as his manner was. It is what he found was very effective. If you can see the screen from where you're sitting, and if not, I'll just read this off quickly. If we were to just fan through the pages of Acts, I want you to notice all these cities where he went in and established a congregation and he literally is recorded by Luke that he began the very first thing he did in those cities 
was entered into a synagogue. For example, we've already read that in 9 and 20, that that's what he did in Damascus when he first became a Christian. We're, we, we can read in 13 and 5 of Salamis. In the 13th chapter, we're studying today of what he did in Antioch and Pisidia. In 14 and 1, Iconium. 17 and 1, we mentioned Thessalonica. 17 and 10, Berea. 17, 16 and 17, Athens. 18 and 4, Corinth. 18 and 19, uh, Ephesus. Paul. What's your manner? What's your custom? He says it's always to go in and see if there's Jews gathered in a synagogue. Why? Because they always opened up the door for him. Let's go back to our home text. Remember I said we'll pause there for just a moment. Look at the 13th chapter again. You remember we were reading in verse 14, and he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. Now look at verse 15. We learn a little bit about uh, the conduct of a Sabbath service in the synagogue right here. We get some insight in verse 15. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them saying, men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. You see, my understanding is that traditionally in the synagogue, they always had at least two readings. They, and, of course, it would come out of the Old Testament because that was the covenant by which they were living. And so they would have one reading out of the law. They would have another reading out of the prophets. And then they would traditionally open up then the discussion for anyone that could share something of benefit. And here we see that happening here. They had their readings like they were supposed to have. And then the, the ruler of the synagogue sends back messages. He's Paul and Barnabas in the audience. He sends back message. Hey, if you guys would like to share anything, now is the time to do it. Well, you can imagine if that was the tradition within a synagogue, what a blessing. You have the people that the Lord had been using to prepare the way of Jesus Christ for thousands of years And now these very people will let you come into their synagogue and then give you the opportunity to make explanation. And so no doubt what Paul's going to do, he's going to stand up and make an explanation to them of how God had been working in the lives of their forefathers to bring about Jesus Christ. So you ought to love and respect Him because you're a part of the reason that He's here. You see the beautiful compliment that is? Now, this morning, we're going to note here The text that has been read is a part of that sermon. Now, there's no reason to believe that this was the entirety of the sermon, but at least we have a good outline of what this sermon would be. You remember, it's not anything strange in in the book of Acts because so many Jews were being converted to take and quote from the Old Testament and pull from the Old Testament examples. For example, on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, we see that taking place. When Stephen stood up to preach in Acts the 7th chapter, remember at the end of that, he's going to be stoned to death. But he went over a very nice history of the children of Israel. But there's something that, that Paul does here that it really stood out to me when I studied this this week. And and I hope that it has significance to all of us in our life. Notice when we go over here the history of what the children of Israel, the emphasis is not placed upon what they did. The emphasis is placed upon what God did. If you have your Bible open, let's begin scanning in the 17th verse. And uh, if you can see the screen, you can see some of just the facts mentioned here. But notice in the 17th verse... We have that God chose the fathers. 
in other words, if you'd walked in that synagogue and said, hey, is anybody here thankful to be the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And wow, they would have really parted their shoulders back. <laughs> I, yes, I'm thankful. I love to think that I'm a son of, of the great father Abraham. And so what does he do? He puts the emphasis on God. He says, you realize it was God Almighty who chose Abraham to be our father. And then not only that, whenever Abraham's descendants were taken down into slavery, it was God who exalted them while they were literally in slavery. Now pause there for a moment. We read so much about the power of God, I'm afraid that sometimes we take it for granted. When's the last time you've read in a history book about people becoming slaves, and while they were slaves, their nation grew larger and stronger. They were more empowered while they were in slavery. Friends, you realize that wasn't just a coincidence that the children of Israel literally grew stronger while in slavery. God exalted them, we read in the 17th verse. And not only that, when it was time for them to be brought out of slavery, God brought them out. Look at verse 18. They did a lot of murmuring, complaining out in the wilderness. It was God who put up with them and persevered with them. And then, whenever it was time for them to cross over and to claim Canaan's land, it was God who gave them the victory, destroying seven nations of people as they fought. But it was God who gave the victory. And once they had the land, it was God who distributed the land among the 12 tribes. And then when we look in verse 20, they needed someone to rule them. It was God who gave them judges. Now, I hope you have your Bible open. I hope you're seeing this. But just in case you don't, notice, I am not putting my spin on this. Every one of these is talking about what God did. In other words, this is not just a record of the history of the children of Israel, and I'm telling you God did it. It is recorded in this sermon where Paul is saying over and over, Israel, let me show you what God has done in your life. And then whenever the people wanted a king to be like the other nations, in verse 21, God gave them Saul. And whenever Saul stopped living a righteous life, it was God who removed him from the kingship. And then whenever there was to be another king that would rise up, it was God who raised up David. And by the way, uh, if you're like me and sometimes you spend a lot of time looking in the Old Testament for that beautiful phrase that he says, David is a man after my own heart. Keep in mind, that's a New Testament quote. You can really look yourself to death in the Old Testament for that one. Uh, but we, we know the phrase, we hear it often, and we think that it's probably back in the Old Testament. But here it is in the New Testament. David was a man after God's own heart. All of this history is told. In this sermon, he's standing up in a synagogue, and he's saying, I want to tell you what God has done. Now, that's in their history. Notice the kerygma, the idea of the proclamation. What is it that you need to hear today? What is it that you need to respond to today? He brings that out to them, and it's in verses 23 for about 10 verses. We're not going to read all of that. We're just going to pick out the verses where he tells them what God has done for them that ought to affect what they do today. Look in verse 23. From this man's seed, so coming all the way down through Abraham, from this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior. Who gave Israel a Savior? God did. 
And then we read down in verse 26. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham. See how he's still appealing to their heritage? They're Jews. They love being a family of Abraham. He says, and those among you who fear God, that would have been Gentiles that were also fearing God. He says, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. And that's a beautiful thought. God raised up a Savior. And then God sent the word of salvation. This morning, I hope what's being preached to you is the word of salvation. Now keep in mind, no man can make up the word of salvation. The only way we can proclaim the word of salvation is to go back and to talk about what God did. And so Saul, now his name's Paul, rides into town and and he enters into this synagogue and they want a message and he says, let me tell you what God did. And then he brings it through their history and then he brings it to present time and he says, God gave us a Savior. God has sent a message. Now you remember what the word apostle means? One sent. Who sent them? Jesus, God on earth. God sent the message of salvation. And when you and I take that word that has been recorded and we talk with others about God, we too are sending out and being sent by God to take the message of salvation. Now let's go down. In the next few verses, he's going to talk about Jesus coming to this earth and the Jews turning Jesus over to Pilate and him being crucified. And notice what we have in verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. And in 33, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, and that he raised up Jesus as is written in Psalm. And he quotes there out of Psalm 2 and 7, you are my son today, I have begotten you. And three more times he will quote out of their Old Testament to show how Jesus Christ is a fulfillment of that. God sent the Savior. God sent the message of salvation. God raised him from the dead. God made sure that Jesus fulfilled everything that he was on this earth to do to become our Savior. Friends, we have about our human nature sometimes the desire to believe whatever is new is better. And we see many that try to introduce new versions of Christianity. And I need to realize, please get this simple point. I've really said everything this morning to this point to get to this. When you want to talk about the very heart of Christianity, we're talking about what God did. You can't introduce something new and call it Christian. Christianity is all about what God did. Paul is literally able to stand shortly after the church begins and talk about what God did for thousands of years to bring about Christianity through the history of Israel. And he's able to project forward a gospel, a proclamation A kerygma is the Greek word. He's able to present a proclamation that now it's almost 2,000 years old. And even if it's 2,000 years in the future from now, it still will go back to what God did. What did God do? God raised up a Savior 
God gave us a word of salvation. God raised Jesus from the dead and Jesus fulfilled all prophecy and that will never change. And so we say, I want to change my life. I want to help someone I love change their life. What do we need to do? And please listen carefully. Please don't misunderstand me here. But sometimes we spend so much time talking about, oh, wouldn't you like to get that vice out of your life? Did you know God can help you live a better life? Oh, don't you want to be better parents? Don't you know that that God can help you? Oh, you just need to come to church with us because children learn about the Lord. Friends, do you realize that all of those things are definitely a part of what Christianity accomplishes and what God does. But when we talk about the very heart of why we do what we do, why we have the offer of salvation, that all goes back to the core of the gospel that Jesus Christ lived and died and was resurrected. And that doesn't change. And I hope there's not anybody here that is ashamed of a gospel that's almost 2,000 years old. A gospel that was the result of thousands of years of bringing Jesus to this earth. That is the kerygma. Out of all the things Paul could have preached, he walked in and he says, let me tell you what God has done. And there's not any news better than what God has done. This morning, is that why I'm here? Am I here because of what God has done? Or do I have a very shallow involvement in Christianity? Do I have a shallow understanding? Well, I just like to be here because there's good people here. I like to be here because it encourages me to live a better life. Friends, those things hopefully are true. But hopefully all of us can say that our roots of our faith goes back to the gospel, to Jesus, to being our Savior. We'll close this lesson with the same way that Paul closed his lesson. Let's look at four verses here. First, look at verse 38 and 39. You see, remember any time you see the word therefore, you say everything that has been said has been said so that this point could be made. What is this therefore? And look in 38. He has made all of this talk with them about what God has done. And then he says, therefore, this is Acts 13, 38. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you forgiveness of sins. Now, it would have been true if he would have said, through this man is forgiveness of sins. But he didn't say that. Why? Paul was wanting to bring an emphasis to the gospel that he was preaching. So to put an emphasis on that gospel, he says, through you, this, or through this man is the gospel preached to you of forgiveness. You see the difference? He's placing an emphasis on the gospel. Do you have a gospel that you love, a gospel that goes back 2,000 years ago? And somebody says, why do you live the Christian life? I live the Christian life because of my Lord, His death, His burial, His resurrection for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. I live the Christian life. What if you didn't have the encouragement of a church family? What if you didn't have all the other benefits? I'd like to say, and I emphasize that, I would like to be able to say, I'd follow the Lord for no other reason than because of His death, burial, and resurrection. 
That's the heart of it. Paul says, that's why I preached to you this message of forgiveness. But then he goes right to the heart of justification in verse 39. And by Him, still talking about Jesus. See how everything is because of what Jesus did or what God did. By Him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Because of what He did, you can be justified. What's justified mean? When your soul can be so clean that you can say, it's just as if I never sinned. That's justification. Say that in your mind. Just as if I never sinned. That's justification. Just as if I never sinned. Somebody say, I, I have sinned. But justification, your soul can be cleansed as if you never sinned. How could that happen? Because of what Jesus did for us. That's the gospel we respond to. Now, not everybody can believe something so tremendous. Some people pass it off. Habakkuk. He was talking about the rise of a nation that would overtake Babylon. And he was doing it at a time that that nation had little strength. And nobody could believe that they were really going to overtake the Babylon Empire. History proved that God was right. That His prophet was truthful. Now he takes that very same fact that has been proven in prophecy being fulfilled... And now he says this to the Jews. In other words, you know, they didn't believe Habakkuk either when it seemed too, too good, too big to believe. And he says, I'm telling you about the gospel of Jesus. Does it seem too big to believe? Look at 40 and 41. This is how he says it. Beware. This is how he closes the sermon. This is the end of the sermon. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets comes upon you. In other words, what if you become just like the people in Habakkuk's day? And this is what they said in Habakkuk 1 and 5. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. Habakkuk, what's the problem? I'm speaking truth and nobody's going to believe it. Paul, what's the problem? He says, I have Jews sitting right in front of me and I've proved how God has worked through their heritage and I've proved how Jesus has worked today and I've proved the great things that they can be through Christ and they won't believe it. Well, what's the conclusion? You may be standing there marveling, but if you don't respond to it, you're going to perish. That's literally what he's saying here. Marvel and perish. But you know what he wants us to do? Marvel and believe. God, there's not anything impossible. I just don't think He can ever forgive me of my sins. With God, there's nothing impossible. You mean to tell me that I could be right now just as if I never sinned? Marvel and believe. Don't marvel and say, that, that's, that's amazing. And perish. This morning greatest act of kindness that we'll ever give anybody is to show them what God has done. We may do small acts that get their attention, but being able to show them what God has done, ultimately that's all that matters. This morning, are you